All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Tunes Mate. I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And Ray, this week, had an opportunity to catch up with the CEO of Futury Media, Daniel and Standig. And it was interesting, Ray. I mean, what a career. And he actually has software that, if you're listening to any radio station, is actually running behind the scenes, keeping everything together on top of many other talents, produce some music over this pandemic. But one of the things that stuck out to me when I sat down with Daniel was we started going down the topic of music. How, why is there always such familiarity when you turn on 98.5 or the classic rock station and you hear that same music and why aren't they playing any of the, the latest hits by the same artist? I mean, you think about ACDC, every album, is exactly the same but why are they not playing the latest album from acdc no they want to play the song from 1980 but the song they just recorded in 2000 whatever it is sounds exactly the same why yeah that's always part of it right that so much musical experience is based off of what we remember right that that a lot of music i mean i've said this about the hot 100 charts for years that a lot of what, what, you know, to a certain extent, it, it doesn't matter who hit number one and who hit number two or who hit number three. It's, it's that those songs mark a time period. Right. So I think of, you know, the late summer, early fall of 1988 and there's guns and roses and there's Def Leppard and, you know, and then Kylie Minogue coming along and Bobby McFerrin and, you know, and so these songs become a marker of time for us. And so, Uh, You know, we've talked on the podcast before about artists kind of hitting that window, right, where they they'll have a couple year or a couple albums where they sort of hit it big. And then, you know, the next thing comes along and everybody who follows music knows that, you know, that's the trend for most music. Uh, It's the rare artist who has a long career that spans the decade and a half, two decades and consistently having hits. And so a lot of times what happens my experience has been my understanding has been you know the artist gets gets connected to that time period or, or their songs get connected to that time period and so only the sort of most ardent of fans are interested in the new stuff and hmm. for most folks it's i want to hear the old stuff and i want to you know i want to hear that again and again and again because that's the memories i have and I associate it with that, with a time period of my life or an experience I had. And I just want to relive that. Yeah. And down the same vein was, so we think about all the stats we always talk about is we're trying to introduce people with tunes, mate, here's some new music. But the reality is when we want to listen to music, we most likely are in a mood mm-hmm. and we're searching for the music to match our mood. Do you feel as though that is also a connection point into the majority of the music that we listen to? I think that's a real important point. Uh, I I know that I've been in the car and there are songs that I love that come on and I don't leave them on because that's not the type of song I wanted that at that moment, right? That there are times when I'm just, you know, I'm down and I want something that's either pet me up or I want to just feel down with the music because it's going to provide some kind of therapy. There are times when I'm just happy and I want something cheerful. There are times when I want something I can sing along with. And, you know, I might like a certain song, but it's not a 
as singable as a song of a song as something else. And I know from experience, like I said, I, I I'll be I flip around. I'm a station flipper a lot, and you know, and I'll I'll find five songs on there, you know, across ten stations, and maybe four or five of them that I like. And I'm like, okay, now which one do I want to listen to? And like I said, there have been times when a song that I really really like will come on, and I end up flipping the station because I'm just, yeah, the mood. I'm not in the mood for that right now. It's just not matching with the experience I want to have at that moment. So I would probably take it to the to the idea of experience that when we listen to songs, there's a lot of times a certain experience we're looking for. I want to dance right now. I want to just kind of maybe even sulk right now. I want to just feel a pick me up right now. I want to I want to you fill in the blank with whatever right now. And so I would say that mood is a big part of that. And so I want to feel a certain mood right now is a type of experience, but I would probably go to the idea of experience that I want a certain experience and maybe that's nostalgia. And then we're back to, I want to listen to this song from 1996 or 1985 or, uh, you know, 1972 or whatever, or maybe it's, it's, I want something new. And sometimes we are in that mood. I've been in that mood where, I don't want something I've heard before. I want something new, but also something that I like that's new. So I'd go to the the idea of experience. Yeah, that's wow. It definitely was a fascinating discussion. Wanted to bring you something a little different this week and understand the business side of music. So let's jump over to Daniel. When we come back, we'll wrap up the episode. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Tunes Made. I am so honored to have here in my presence, Daniel. And Standing, how are you? Hey, it's great to see you, Mark. It's been so interesting to watch your career and see everything you've done. I've been watching, you know, from the sidelines, not not from a weird way, but from a (laughs) a very um, astonished. And I just was curious for you to just explain, you know, what's your role and what do you do? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on this podcast. I'm a huge fan and I, I love this podcast and what you're doing to bring product design and music together and all of your passions in one place. Very cool. Um, so like you, I have a passion for music. I also have a passion for technology and for media. And I started very young in the broadcast media business. I actually got my first radio-oriented job when I was nine years old, working for a small AM radio station in Cleveland, Ohio. Had a pirate radio station, was shut down by the FCC, uh, and then uh, went to work for a couple of other radio stations during my, my teen years. But my first real tech startup was uh, an audio advertising company and a streaming radio station that I started during high school. I was 14. I sold the company when I was 18 and then went to work in mainstream media, all in technology-oriented roles. So worked for CBS TV, Clear Channel Radio, Wall Street Journal Digital, all as an in-house consultant working on development of new audience and revenue strategies and from a digital perspective. And my focus or passion over many years has been bringing new ideas around the digital frontier to traditional media businesses. So 13 years ago now, I started this company called Futuri that's all about creating software for media companies to help them grow their content, grow their audience and grow their revenue. And most of our clients are TV and radio stations that use our systems to really grow their audience on the digital landscape from social and mobile media to even understanding how to use technology to create the right content for their broadcast audience. So you know some interesting back-end secrets around the music industry you know, with all the, the work you're doing. What's one thing you can share with our audience that you think is really astounding that 
if they're listening to radio or if they're out there you know, on the internet streaming, what's one thing that would surprise people that you could share? Well, I think most people know that the music industry is very political now and that it's gone from a highly creative, let's call it grassroots industry to a more corporatized, commercialized universe. And I think what would surprise most people is that it's not necessarily the most talented, musically talented people that make it to the top. It's the people who can create the best user experience. Uh, it's the people who can create the the most attractive and interesting, engaging experience for audiences. And sometimes, you know, musicologists, <laughs> you know, in their complexity and in their big, sophisticated ideas fail to do that. And it's the people that kind of fit the middle of the bell curve that tend to excel and become the icons that we think of as core artists in, in any format or genre. But one thing that I think is really exciting about the music industry today is no matter who you are, you have the ability to develop your own direct audience. There's an audience now that's not brokered through broadcast radio. It's not brokered through even uh, the best event venues in town. You can go to Spotify, Pandora, you know, any iHeartRadio, any platform, and no matter what type of music you, you're creating or music you love, there's a place to connect with your fans and a place to connect with the artist in that genre. Mm -hmm. I think you hit it on the head. I mean, I think about, for example, there's a top 10 hit that's out right now and because it started on TikTok. Yes. However, the song is like three years old. Yes. So it is amazing how social media is influencing the music scene now more than ever. And there's direct examples. I mean, there's tons of examples from YouTube. Yes. Some artists that have started there. Like I think Justin Bieber is one of the biggest ones that says, Oh, I started on YouTube and I made it over and people are like, sure you did Justin. Yeah. But you're right. It's the package that someone's bringing. It's not only the music, but it's, it's how they're making it. And there's a lot of people behind the scenes. Like you hear of Dr. Luke that has written, all these songs, I think there's one that's out right now that's getting tons of airplay that people don't realize that yes. there's a formula that's happening. You talked about the, the science of music. Let's talk a little more about that. Like when you with your product, is there some science that's happening behind the background that as a listener, because we talk about that a lot on this, yeah. this podcast that most people listen at some point and then you never go back to listening to music again. You kind of plateau. <laughs> right. You're just like, I love Boston. I'm going to keep listening to more than feeling. Let's put it on again and again and again. Right. Is there a way to break the cycle or is just the science of music? Are we just all humans just sucked into that paradigm? Well, there's definitely a word. <laughs> there's familiarity is a huge part of music taste. And if you talk to anybody in broadcast media or, you know, radio, I mean, you will hear that one of the cornerstones of broadcast radio programming, the cornerstones of, of thinking about high-performing radio stations mm -hmm. is the level of familiarity and the level of consistency from quarter hour to quarter hour. When I turn on this station, mm -hmm. do I get a predictable sound? Do I hear the same type of sound from one quarter hour to the next? And, hmm. and are the songs familiar? Because most people don't like to listen to unfamiliar music. The truth is, you know, music is a mood service for us, I think. I think we go okay. to music to support the mood that we want to be in. And if we turn on the radio or a playlist or any sort of music source, whether that's a streaming source or whether that's our own personal music collection or a radio station, at the end of the day, if we don't turn it on and have that instant gratification of supporting the mood that we want to be in, then we go away. Now, if that, so if that mood is, you know, I want to sing in the car right now, 
you're not going to be able to sing to an unfamiliar song. So if the mood is, you know, I want to pump up the jams with my friends, <laughs> makes me sound like a old, kind of an old fart. But, um, you know, if I want to create a party atmosphere, hard to do that with unfamiliar music. There are people who like different genres and so on and so forth. And some people have more tolerance for unfamiliar than others. But by and large, audiences want what is familiar. I mean, you see that as a DJ all the time, oh, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean. I was just thinking about it. For example, the running joke is always, you know, ACDC just released an album. Mm -hmm. Again, mm -hmm. the same music they released seven years ago, and they, they have a very formula to it. But I'm still surprised that, like, the latest ACDC album basically sounds like the last ACDC album, but they're still playing yes. the ACDC album from <laughs> 1980, whatever it is. So it is fascinating. But let's talk about, like, the thing that fascinated me, which is talk about this mood. So obviously traditional radio is keeping the consistency, but... Is there a change with the way like streaming, is that changing the way that now as a consumer, I can kind of select this or do you still see people being drawn to some kind of cured playlist? Whereas that, you know, they're not putting together their own playlist. They're, they're yeah. like tuning in because it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to iHeartRadio. I'm going to tune into the 80s channel or the 90s channel. Just please help me. I, I don't know. I don't know music that well. <laughs> right. I totally see both. I think that there there's a, more music is a wider, more diverse range of music is being consumed today than ever before because there are more music channels and consumers have their own individualized options. Right. And that's a beautiful thing. At the same time, you know, there are people who, I, I think we, you know, there's a minority of us who want to curate our own playlists all the time. It's nerds like you and me. Um, we can't stop. <laughs> we can't help ourselves. But m for most people, they do like some level of curation. They want to be able to select the songs that they like, but then they want recommendations. They want the machine or the DJ or their friends, their, you know, their network to fill in the rest. And I think that's more the average person than the type of person who probably, like you, you, you know, you, I'm sure you have hundreds of playlists that you've built over time. Yes. Uh, and you relish in the experience and you love the, the, you know, the challenge of it. And I do too. But we're very rare, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. But I, what's fascinating to me is, so we build playlists, you know, you've got the artificial intelligence that's spitting out, you know, all these, these vibes out there. But then... You've got this new genre, and maybe this podcast falls into it, which is podcasts. You know, it right. seems to be just like music. There's so many that are out there. Yes. And I'm starting to see, for example, I have a friend of mine that started one where they're interviewing classical music artists and they're performing live on the actual podcast because a lot of the podcasts can't play the music because there's a lot of sanction. You know, yeah. For example, I know like Don Henley's all over. You play one note of the Eagles. Please stop, cease and desist. So you think about podcasts and then music. Is is that something? Is because I'm trying to figure out like where's you talk about your your business, but like where's the future of music going? I mean, obviously we move we're moving more into streaming. Yes, but is our podcasts in the mix in there, or is, how is that you know shifting? Podcasts are definitely in the mix. People are listening more to. I, I think people are curating more of their own experience, whether it's you know a mm -hmm. podcast or choosing a playlist that right. they like, and so on and so forth. More than it is choosing a song or choosing an episode, they are choosing their curators differently. And now the set of curators is much broader. So instead of having you know twelve program directors of of twelve radio stations in a market, now you have a lot of playlist curators that are living around the world that you can access on any platform. 
Um, what is the future of podcasting as part of that? I think podcasting is, as a spoken word media, is only going to continue to grow. I mean, today, based on our latest research at Futuri, we're seeing that maybe 40% of the American population has been exposed to podcasts and listens on a monthly basis. That's incredible reach. There's a very broad range of topics and types of podcasts that you can select. But at the end of the day, the spoken word audience is only so large. You know, as, as large as the spoken word audience is, which is about 40%, I think that's about the range of growth for, for podcasts across the country. It's going to become a bigger part of how we consume information for sure. It's democratized the voice of, uh, you know, of media uh, and the voices behind media, which is exciting. And, you know, I think the type of podcast that you're creating is a great example of being able to bring a niche topic that, you know, this is not a topic that would be talked about on a local radio station, uh, you know, uh, during a primetime hour. But there are people like us who would love to talk about this all day long. <laughs> so it probably could be for a long yes. time. Yes. <laughs> probably full of time. But it is interesting. So you talked about starting really, really young with music and then, you know, creating these companies that have revolutionized this, the music business industry. What about on a personal level? I mean, I, I know you love music. I stumbled upon, I think you mentioned that you've been producing music. Yes. Is, is, is your love of music also intertwined in actually playing a musical instrument as oh, well? Oh, for or? sure. So growing up, my dad is a physician and my mom was a music therapist. And as a music therapist mom, there was a song for everything in the house. <laughs> and she's very good at what she does. So mm -hmm. we grew up listening to uh, incredible music, ranging from classical to jazz, to R&B, to rock, classic rock, to even, you know, heavier stuff. Uh, and, and so the range of music that I've had uh, the privilege of, you know, being exposed to and appreciating is, is large, I think, you know, compared to, you know, people who just have an opportunity to grow up listening to, you know, maybe whatever music their parents had in the house. But I've played drums since a very young age, since uh, I was a toddler. And during COVID, I found that I was locked in the house <laughs> with a lot of time on my hands and a lot of friends in the music business over the years. And so, yes, I did get into taking some of the music that I've written over the years personally and some of my favorite songs and artists and producing them into a couple. I've done a couple of albums now. One is under the band name Rhythm and Truth. And uh, the, the album that was released this year is called Life Lessons. It's a kind of a concept album all about songs relating to big life moments. Uh, and then the second album is for an artist who I truly love and admire, who was on The Voice a number of years ago, and she's an incredible vocalist named Mackenzie Thomas. Her album is called Love Mackenzie. We produced the album together over this last year, and it's a collection of songs that are, you know, some love songs, some love songs to her fans, some love songs to, you know, the, that inner self, inner child, you know, in each of us. It was a vulnerable album to produce with her. And, uh, and so was Life Lessons. But it, it was uh, what those both of those albums were born out of. It just uh, astonishes me because it was a time when uh, we were all on lockdown. None of us could get together in person to do any of this. We produced all of this work entirely virtually. We played all of our individual parts. We did all of our own arrangements. And and so on, all disparately, independently, and then joined together through the power of music. And I think that underlying all of this, all of the songs that you'll hear on both of these albums, is this idea that music really does bring us together in even the most trying times. Uh, we all had personal challenges. We were all going through a lot. 
And yet the music is what gave us a social outlet and a therapeutic outlet together as a team, you know? Yeah. I heard two themes so far, I, you know, mood service, therapy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I totally agree with you. And I think that's what Tunes Made is all about is really allowing you to understand that music is so powerful in our lives. And a lot of us, I think we underrate, you know, how powerful it is. But as you said, I mean, that's a lot of why we're listening to music. We're tuning in. We're in a certain mood. You know, it's Friday. Yes. I want to crank up the jams to put another uh, old term out there. Yeah. And it's like you do. And I, I think you hit in a lot of key points. And I think as listeners, I think it is important to be aware of how we interact with music and when we're making decisions on playlists. So I think it's very helpful that you outline <laughs> that because I really think you know, there are certain I'm thinking about apps and, and, and music in general that we seem to, I don't want to say favor, mm -hmm. but we, we always tend to go to. And I think it's important as humans realize that, wait a minute. Yes. Why am I listening to this again? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Maybe I need to change the channel. <laughs> yes. Well, what, what's always fascinated me about music, and, and I think you talk about this a lot on your podcast, is mm -hmm. this blend of art and science. So there's the scientific part of the song structure, the chord progression, the, the, the music theory behind great production and the sound of great production and so on. But then there's uh, the art and the personality and the empathy that you have for your audience as you're writing music or as you're performing it. And even inside of that, the nuance of being able to speak from personal experience, but not so personal that you exclude your audience. It has to be something that is still a universal experience that we can all relate to. Uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, mm. There's a, there's a song that there's so it, many parts to it. it definitely. Yeah. There's, there's a song on the life lessons album called, mm. can you forgive yourself? And this is a song that is about uh, it was written by a mentor and um, a long, long time friend of mine. Uh, his name is Greg Lieber. And he he wrote this song all about how we go through these moments in our lives that define us. And in retrospect, when you look back, you know, you can criticize yourself and you can, you know, you can really punish yourself for the decisions you've made in your life. You can reflect on so many things in your life and you can uh, you know, forgive everybody else so easily. You know, uh, you forgive your, you know, your ex spouse, you forgive your kids, you forgive friends who you felt who you feel you've had falling outs with and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, do you take time to give yourself that self acknowledgement or self love? That's an example of I, I mean, I know Greg was writing that from personal experience when he wrote those lyrics. It, that was about the most important and largest trials in his own life and and amongst his closest you know family and friends but the way that it comes across in the song when you listen to it in the song it, you know i think it's it's something that we can all relate to it's not such specific language that it locks itself into you know him telling a story about himself it is it's asking you to look inward and see yourself in the song and that's you know, I think that's what makes a really powerful song, whether it's a huge hit or not. <laughs> you know, I, I think you're right. And and I was uh, we did an interview a while back with Holly Knight, who wrote. Yes, in the love 80s, her, love her. And she basically said that when she writes a song, it, she carries it on this little scrapbook and she writes down the song title. And yeah. From the song title comes the song. Yeah. So it's always the song title. And to me, that song title 
just speaks of. I write down the song title and the music comes. Yes. <laughs> like, it sounds like very powerful. Well, it, Daniel, it's been phenomenal to have you on uh, you know, the podcast and talk about your life experience. What's the best way that people can find out? I mean, obviously, they can look up the album that you produced, uh, you know, both of them. Is there any way to you know, check out more about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the the work that I've done in terms of music production is it's available on every you know major music platform. And thank you for listening uh, to it. And uh, whether it's Mackenzie Thomas's album, uh, which is Love Mackenzie, or Rhythm and Truth, is at rhythmandtruth.com. And the software company that I've built over this last thirteen years working with media is at futurimedia.com, which is f-u-t-u-r-i media.com. And uh, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast. I'm a huge fan and i love what you're doing here this is very cool thanks for being on and check out all your things (laughs) there's probably i know there's probably even more than you listed there there's always a lot going on i'm a man of many passions for sure but it's a pleasure to talk with you same here thanks for being on the podcast all right welcome back ray that was fascinating listening to daniel as he talked about how he thinks about the music industry and specifically he is part of that statistic we always talked about over this pandemic. He decided to produce some music himself and also produce for another artist. So he released the Rhythm and Truth Life Lessons and then also did an album with Mackenzie Thomas called Love Mackenzie. Once again, Ray, it's fascinating how this last period really created some great music. Yeah. That theme we keep seeing, we've been hitting on lately that, you know, we, and you kind of predicted it. I, you know, I remember last spring, well, a year ago, six months ago, eight months ago, you were talking about, you know, looking forward to seeing this mu- this music come out. And I think, like you said, we're seeing it. And we're so we're seeing all kinds of folks, you know, coming out with whether it's, old, you know, old standbys, you know, coming out with new music for the first time in years. Uh, folks who've been consistently putting stuff out, putting the, their latest out, or folks trying their hand at it, right? Like, so like in this case, you know, somebody who's extremely familiar with the business side and understands how radio works and music, the music industry works, and saying, hey, I want to try my hand at this and going for it. And, you know, that's been part and parcel with what we've been seeing. Yeah. And I had a chance to sit down and listen to the music, and it's, really interesting i mean daniel is a drummer and you can really tell that not only that knowledge of the music industry but then the craftsmanship i would say when it comes to the musicality and how these songs are put together not only on the album rhythm and truth where he really lays down some of his own songs but then in producing this music for mackenzie thomas who you know you may know from the voice but the one thing that I started thinking about was just like during the interview, when we talked about there's a science to the music, the way the songs are arranged, you know, you typically have, you know, a couple verses and then you've got the solo and then you come back. It is interesting how, if you think about it, you, the music that we are accustomed to falls right in line with, you've got mood, you have, the familiarity, and then also that science of the music as well. I mean, we typically are drawn to the way a song is put together. And I think Daniel really was able to to understand that in the music that he also helped create as well. Yeah, it's interesting you use the word science because I think of it 
differently, I guess. And I, mm. I think of it as formula. I think of it as culture actually. And, mm. and the idea. So when I think of, like you said, you know, that sort of two or three refrain with the chorus in the middle, uh, form, that's a form that's become really popular in the last century and different cultures have different sort of expectations for what that form is going to look like. But modern pop music follows that sort of two verse with the chorus in between or the refrain in between. You got a Brit, you know, you got verse, you got the verse one, or maybe you start with the chorus and then you got verse one, you do the chorus, you do verse two, you got the chorus. Then you got some instrumental bridge and then you come back with the chorus at the end or maybe one more verse in the chorus, right? There, there's a little bit of play in there, but it's the same kind of thing. And I picked up on that when I first started writing music as a, in high school, you know, almost 35 years ago, I wrote, I wrote that way. I wrote, you know, a verse, wrote the chorus, wrote a verse, then I just wrote in chorus and then I'd write guitar bridge or something like that, write music, and then I'd come back with chorus. It's something that a lot of folks who write music, like write pop music, will pick up on. It, it, it's science in the sense of you're, you're learning this pattern and you're seeing that this there's a scientific way of going about this, that right there's a sort of methodical way mm-hmm. of doing this. At the same time, it's that because culturally that's what we've learned to think about. You know, you think about examples of songs that don't do that. So for instance, uh, you know, very recently Taylor Swift broke Don McLean's record for the longest song to hit number one. Her latest song uh, hit number one and it's like 10 minutes long and it broke McLean's record, which in January is going to turn 50, right? American Pie. You know, American Pie was often seen as a an exception to the rule, right? That you know, you got the, the sort of classic Billy Joel line from The Entertainer, right? They had to cut it down to 305, right? That idea that, you know, you cut the song down to three minutes. And here was this eight minute long uh, epic song that spent a, a month at number one in, you know, early 1972 and became like this cultural touchstone for the last 50 years. But it was the exception, not the rule. And and so that was the idea that, you know, that's how you that's how you did pop music. And that took its form in the late 50s into the 60s. And it grew out of, I mean, other strands that had kind of done that kind of thing with with sort of uh, pop music of the likes of Sinatra and Nat King Cole and all that kind of stuff. But really by the 60s, and you had like the music factories that put out stuff like the Brill Building in New, in New York and Stax Records and Motown, this was the form. And, and so we all grew up with this. And Yep, that's what you do. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember, while you were speaking, I was humming the song in my head, Old Town Road. Uh, Old Town Road by uh, Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus. That song clocked in underneath two minutes. I think it's funny that we recently had the shortest number one song. Yeah. Now we've got the longest number one song. So we definitely are living in a, a very interesting time when it comes to pop music. Well, and part of that is, I mean, yeah, Old Town Road, I don't remember. Yeah, it's, it's literally like just under two minutes. It's like like right at two minutes. And it also became the longest run at, at number one ever. It broke the record, the old uh, One Sweet Day record, of break, you know, that broke Elvis's record in um, 19 weeks at number one. And I think it, that's a reflection also of how the Hot 100 chart is. I, this is not the same Hot 100 chart that, that, was, that folks like me grew up with in the 80s and early 90s. And, well, in the 80s especially, it changed in 1991. But, but it's even different from what was in 91. I mean, and they've, they've done some apparent changes to it recently, but it, it, it still works in really weird ways. So, you know, the only reason Taylor Swift hit number one was, was that a, she released 
a new album and all these songs got hits on the internet and on various other formats. And that was the one that just happened to get the most of it, you know? And so uh, the hot 100 is really different than it, than it was uh, 30 and certainly 40, 50 years ago. And it, it creates an environment that, that leads to these, these wacky kind of results for, for, you know, what hits the top 10 and what's the number one song of the year and what hits number one. And, and old town road is a manifestation of that in some ways. Now, on the other hand, it, you know, in any time period, it probably would have spent, you know, at least a number of weeks at number one and been a big hit, but, but yeah, but, but that's also a reflection of the, the way in which music is produced. I mean, if you look at the story of little Nas X and how he went about doing that and that it ended up creating this hit, you know, that was a, you know, not your, your standard way that an artist, it goes to number one. No, not at all. It's just been so fascinating with music. And it just reminds me that coming up, we're going to be having our year end countdown. So I'm starting to put together my list. I know Ray's putting together his, so stick around. We've got some more episodes coming up. We hope you really enjoyed Daniel and standing and, is kind of behind the scenes of the music industry and the way he's moved into producing music. And always at Tunes Mate, we are looking for your feedback. So if you have some ideas on the next topic of the podcast, feel free to send that over to us. We do hear you and we have listened and we've got more episodes coming up. So tune in to our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't subscribed. And follow the blog, always giving you your daily 80s fix and making sure that we're giving you the latest and greatest from your favorite artists. So, I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And we will see you next time.